Today's Bible reading is coming from Philippians chapter 2 and I'll be reading verses 5 through to 11. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Pastor Darrell prepares to come up. I will give him a little bit more time. I'm not sure if I've shared the story with you, but uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Alvin was out at the bus stop out here and a lady stepped off the bus and uh, she had a sore shoulder and Pastor Alvin offered to carry her bags for her to her house. And so Pastor Alvin did that, who's walking in the door right now. And uh, he did that. And as a result, this lady asked about if she could come to church. And so Isabel came along to church and she was here uh, in the next evening service and uh, she shared with some of us and we got to talk to her and she was welcomed into the women's ministry and everything like that and she assured us she'll be back. Well she didn't turn up the next week and we were like oh that was interesting she seemed very genuine and said she'd be here and then we found out she was actually in hospital. She'd had a fall and split her head open and had 16 staples put in her head and everything like that and then she came to the next week and I was like, oh, you're back. And yeah, we saw the staples and everything. And she was so joyful. She was just so excited about being amongst us. And then two weeks ago, she gave her life to Christ. So, yeah. yeah. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? And I think the series that both Pastor Darrell and I have done recently about having an impact in your every day. How hard is it to carry someone's groceries? And that's how this woman was led to Christ ultimately. It's just an act of kindness. And uh, she came along now she's in the kingdom forever. Thanks, Amen. Pastor. Thank you, Sue. Morning, everyone. If there's somebody here who would like to be baptised, who haven't been baptised, you can get baptised today if you come and see us. <clears throat> I can do it for you this morning. Cost 50 bucks, but we can get it done. Pastor Charlie could do it for you tonight for free. Just to remind you of the temperature of the water for tonight. <coughs> Baptisms are always fun, aren't they? Wonderful to see people obey the Lord Jesus. And At the end of the service, we're going to have uh, Nita and Yolanda come forward, and then we're going to um, pray for them and pray God's blessing upon them. And, for the Lord to protect them from spiritual attack. We're going to do that now. That's what we're doing this morning, what Jesus did and what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are at work, as Pastor Charlie has just shared. So, Lord, continue to work in people's hearts flowing out of carols. Continue to work in our hearts. And, Lord, uh, remind us of truth that we already know and perhaps may have forgotten. Reveal to us new truth that we haven't seen before. And Lord, again, open our eyes and our 
wills to respond to the truth that you have for us this morning. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you ever seen those little bracelets, those little things, WWJD? Or big back in the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, and I don't see them around too much. WWJD. What's that stand for? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? Like I said, that came about in the 19... A youth leader in Chicago, I think Chicago, in America, somewhere in America anyway, came up with... They wanted something to give to the young people to wear on their wrist to lead to gospel conversations and... And it did that, and it became global. <clears throat> that actually started in 1892. There was a man by the name of Sheldon who wrote a book called In His Steps. Heard of it? In His Steps became a very famous little book. He was a pastor of a church, and he wanted the church for 12 months to make every decision they made on the basis through the filter of walking in his steps. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would he decide about what we're doing or whether we would do this or not do this or buy this or not buy this or whatever? So to walk in his steps is what that came out of. It impacted not only the church after that 12 months, but it started to have a ripple effect into the community of lives being changed. Incredible. Reminds me of a story of two little brothers. One's named Kevin, one's name's Brian. Is there a Kevin here this morning? That's safe. Is there a Brian here this morning? Okay, we're safe. Kevin and Brian. Kevin is older, he's about seven years old, and Brian is about three years of old, and mum's making pancakes for breakfast, and they're arguing. Christian family. And Kevin's saying, and Brian's saying, I want the first pancake, I want the first pancake, and the mother who is sick of this has been trying to teach these boys, her kids, how to, you know, follow Jesus and stuff. She said, now what would Jesus do in this situation? And she was so exasperated, she didn't wait for the answer, so she told them. Jesus would say, I want, um, I want my brother to have the first pancake. And Kevin, as sharp as a tack, says, hey, Brian, you be Jesus. <laughs> in this passage this morning that Rhonda read to us, it's a, a marvellous, it's probably the greatest New Testament um, paragraph on who Jesus is and on uh, what he did and Paul actually uses this very profound theological statement as an illustration of a truth that he's trying to communicate to the church he's tackling this issue of pride pride goes before a proverb says and you I could have called this be humble or you will stumble that's what the passage is calling us to do and it's setting, like I said, the example of the Lord Jesus is the example that we are to follow. Pride, self at the center, is the oldest sin in the universe. Pride is what kicked Satan out of heaven. Pride is what kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. Pride is the cancer of the soul. The antidote, humility, considering others being God-centered and others-focused or others-serving. This paragraph, Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, falls into the, pretty much these three things. There's, verse 5 is the key point that we're coming to last, but it's the example of Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he illustrates it by two things. First, the humility of Jesus, the going down, verses 6 to 8, and the exaltation of Jesus, the ascension, the going up. 
and how God exalted him. That's the example for us to go down, to humble ourselves. And if we do that, then God, as he did with Jesus, will with us raise us up. Not just the resurrection, but in terms of favour and blessings and so on. So that first paragraph, we're doing jumping into the right of the middle of it, verses six to seven we're going to look at. It's the humility of Jesus. And there are three things to note, one in each verse, his divinity, his incarnation, which is a big word, which is just the word we use, theologians use this word, to describe him coming in flesh, to incarnate, taking on a human body, Christmas, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God becoming human. And then, of course, the end of his earthly life, his crucifixion. So, verse 6, his divinity. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, don't jump over that. And whenever the Jehovah's Witnesses knocks on your door, then here is a verse you can take them to. Being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be maintained, to be used to his own advantage, or your Bible might say to be grasped or clung to. Who is Jesus? Well, this verse tells us that he, being in the very nature of God. In a some of the older versions, they tend to translate like word for word. The Apostle Paul actually uses a very specific Greek word which says, who being in the form of God, form. And the word form, what the NIV translates uh, and communicates is very accurate. The form, the very nature, is the essential nature of a being. We have a form, which is our essential um, unchanging nature or characteristics. We are human. Whether we are a, a child, whether we are a youth, whether you're an adult, married, single, whatever you belong, your form is, your essential nature is human. Or for Jesus, his essential nature is divine. He's God. Then we have another word, which is the outward form. The Greek word is schema. And that's the outward part of us which changes. So if you take a look at a photo of yourself a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, you'll look different, won't you? Slightly. Have a look at when you were a kid. You've been unchanging in terms of you are human, that's your, your form. But in terms of your schema, your inward or your outward manifestation of that form has been changing and developing. So what Paul is saying to us here is that Jesus in his essential nature, the one that never changes, is divine. That's his essence, his nature. But his outward size, shape, what he looked like, did. He took on a human form. So let's understand very clearly that we're talking about the Lord Jesus and he possessed the essential and the unchangeable nature of God. When he was man, he was still God. It's unchanging. He was God in flesh. And that word being right at the beginning, who being in the very nature of God is a present active participle. You don't need to know that. But it means that he always was and he continues to be. Jesus didn't become God. He always was God. I left all of this out of my notes, but I spent half a day this week sort of writing out my, the. well, I say all of this, I won't, I decided not to. We've 
trying to explain the Trinity. <laughs> the bottom line of that was, as clear as I can make it, if you think you understand it, you don't. It is incomprehensible to us. It's not against reason, it's beyond our reason. We do not have the ability to explain it. I will give it to you, I'll give it to you in 30 seconds. Father is God, Son is God, Spirit is God. But there are not three gods, there is one God. Clear? The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct persons, but they are all of one essence. They are all in the form of God. There are not three gods, there is one God. Clear? <laughs> yeah, I understood what you said, but I don't understand what you said. Yeah, that's right. My theologian, theological lecturer, when I was at Theo College being trained to be a pastor, he said this, you either begin at the top, heavenly, or you begin at the bottom, earthly. And you come to the perspective, when you think about Jesus, for instance, he's God and man, he's both. But it's nearly, it's incredible difficult to put them together. It's true, but it's hard for us to reconcile. So there is one God, but the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. There are not three gods, there's one God. I can think about the three or I can think about the one, but it's difficult. The Father is not part of God, the Father is fully God. The Son is not part of God, he is fully God. The Spirit is not part of God, he is fully God. And yet they are not independent of each other, they are fully interrelated, united and harmonious. Just imagine in a marriage, got a husband, got a, what's the other one, a wife, and you got a child. Just imagine Whatever the father is thinking, the wife is thinking and the child is thinking. That whatever the child wants to do, the wife wants to do and the father wants to do. This perfect harmony and unity and togetherness. Your marriage like that? Not in this world, because we're fallen. But it's gonna move in that direction when we get to glory. Enough on that. Jesus is, in the very nature, fully divine. And as fully divine, he is equal with the Father and the Son. I also want to say this. The English doesn't help us. We don't have words to describe it. But when we think of Father and Son, some people mistakenly think the Son comes from the Father. That the Father is greater than the Son. Theologically, that's heresy. They're equal all three. And so the father-son terminology is about relationship, not about origin or superiority or status. It's about relationship. Had enough? I have, let's move on. Um, Jesus was fully God and what was his attitude? He didn't maintain his, I'll say status. He didn't cling to this equality he had with God, but 
not independently of the Father or the Spirit, they together decided that he, and he voluntarily, emptied himself, made himself nothing, or made himself of no reputation. Literally, he emptied himself, which then leads to the question, emptied himself of what? What did Jesus give up for being God, from still God, but in becoming human, what happened? How? Well, theologians have argued about this. My same theological class. If you know the hymn, then it'll make sense. Our theological lecturer asks us the question, of what did Jesus empty himself? And some wise acre at the back of the class said, of everything but love. Do you know the hymn? If you don't know the hymn, it doesn't make any sense to you. It's a hymn that actually says that. He emptied himself of all but love. And we didn't empty himself of all but love. What he emptied himself of is not his deity. He's still God the Son. He's still the Son of God. He's still fully God. He did not empty himself um, of the essential nature that he had. He was still God. He didn't empty himself of some of his attributes. I'll give up that one, that one, and that one, but I'll maintain these ones. He was fully God. Well, what did he give up? He gave up the outward manifestation of his glory. He gave up the... And I wrestled with this, this I'm not happy with this sentence, but I, I can't, I, I don't have the language to communicate it better. He gave up the independent use of his attributes. In other words, he fully submitted himself to the Father and the Spirit. In other words, he would not choose to do anything that the Father or the Spirit did not prompt or want him to do. He emptied himself of that independent use of his authority. He didn't lose his authority. He had it. He still had all of his attributes. He chose not to access them, not to use them. It's like a, a multi-billionaire becoming a poor person. He still has all of his wealth, but he doesn't access it. It still belongs to him. It's still part of him and so on. And the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus gave up this continuous the outward manifestation of his glory. Imagine being in heaven with all of the angels worshiping you and your glory being manifested. He put that aside. He left that in heaven. He'll return to it because in John chapter 17, verse three, the Lord Jesus prays just before the crucifixion. He says, Father, um, you know, I've done all that you wanted me to do. Now restore to me the glory I had with you before I came here. Restore to me the glory. So that's one of the things that he gave up. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about how though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. He gave up the riches of heaven to come and dwell among us. Why? Uh, because he loves us and he's committed to us. You know how we're on earth and we're longing for heaven? He was in heaven longing to come to earth because of his love for us. He made us in his image. He made us to be in fellowship and relationship with him. And way back in the beginning, Garden of Eden, he tells Adam and Eve and the serpent that from now, the seed of the woman will come, will destroy Satan, but he'll be bruised and hurt in the process. Who being in very, he emptied himself, he made himself nothing, and he took on the very nature 
That's that essential nature, the unchanging mullness of a servant. At the heart of God is this attitude of servant-hearted. The sovereign Lord himself loves and serves and cares. And we are made in his image and sin has distorted that. It's where pride and sin come in. And that image is being restored to us. That's what Paul is writing about. And the Lord Jesus was made in human likeness. That's the Christmas bit. He became a baby. It's beyond us, isn't it? How could the infinite, eternal God be contracted to the span of a person's hand, a child, still fully divine, God, for us? And being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? The sovereign, almighty God himself, what did he do? He humbled himself. He's already humbled himself by leaving aside the glories and riches of heaven. Coming to earth as a person, that's humble enough. The angels must have been watching with tremendous curiosity. What is going on? Because we are a little bit lower than the angels. He bypassed them and he goes lower. And not only did he become human, he became the lowest of the low, demonstrated by his death. And he didn't just go through the experience of death, that the creator of life died he died the worst, lowest form of death, crucifixion. Invented by the Persians, mastered, perfected by the, uh, the Romans. It was a torture chamber. Reserved for the worst of the worst was the worst criminals whom they crucified. And Jesus humbled himself even to that point. His reputation was ruined. Because when people through the ancient world heard that he had been crucified, that was the end of it for them. Paul writes about that, how it's a stumbling block, the cross is a stumbling block to Greeks. It's like us finding out that somebody, you know, a relative of ours has been executed and you would automatically think there's something not right here. He must have done something terrible. That's the assumption. But of course, we know the truth. The Lord Jesus, God the, the Son, subjects himself to humanity and then even to death and the wages of sin is death but he never committed a sin but he pays the wages he takes on our sin pays the full penalty takes the full brunt of it but because it's not his it's ours he pays for it but death can't hold him has no grip on him because it's not his sin it's our sin which he took the punishment from so the whole point of this is, Paul is illustrating the point, have this attitude, just like Jesus did. He was in heaven and he left that and he humbled himself and he humbled himself and he humbled himself. We are to humble ourselves. What's God's response to that? God is really into humility. He's looking for it. Well, this is what God did. The exaltation of Jesus gives him a new name. And then there's consequences of that is every knee and every tongue. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. God super exalted him. We're talking about not just the resurrection, but we're also talking about the ascension. That God exalted him to the highest place of the highest place, above all, and gave him a name above every name. The superlative name. And that at that name... Every knee will bend, will kneel, 
Every tongue will declare, will confess, will acknowledge he is Lord. What's the name that God gave him? Well, the next verse, it says that at the very name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The name that God gave him is not Jesus. That's what we call him. Before Bethlehem, he wasn't called Jesus. He was the son of God. Jesus is his earthly name. Jesus is a very common down-to-earth name. There are lots of Jesuses in the ancient, it's like John in English. It's very common. It's more, it's literally Joshua in English. Jesus, that's not the name. He tells us in a couple of verses what the name is. Whoops. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name the Father gave the Son. The Father calls the Son Lord. There are two sorts of Lords. There is the polite reference to Lord, like you say, like a Sir. It's the equivalent of that, small L, Lord. And then there is a capital L, Lord. That's like the husband in the house. the master of the castle, the owner of the business, that Lord, he's the one in charge. But if you look in your Bible, there is a third Lord and that's where it's all in capital letters. That's the divine name. We don't know how to say it, but the best guess is it's like Yahweh. Yahweh, Yehovah, Jehovah. They're all possible. We only have the consonants, so we don't know. But that is translated in our Bibles as Lord, L capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, sovereign Lord. The Father calls Jesus after the resurrection, the ascension and his session on high where he sits at the right-hand side of God, the Father, Lord. Hebrews chapter one, the Father calls Jesus God. Hebrews chapter one, verse eight, you can look that up, quoting the Old Testament. This is the name which is above every name that at that name, every knee will bend. Every tongue will declare, you are Lord, throughout the whole cosmos. That person humbled himself for us. And so the Apostle Paul says, follow the example of Jesus. What would Jesus do? Do what he did, increasingly and ongoingly. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus. Humble yourself. That's the point of Philippians chapter 2. But of course, I wanted to bounce off more of the references about who Jesus is. The Apostle Peter says, uh, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Do you know the Bible always says that we are to humble ourselves? It either never says, and if it does say it, then it's less than five times. It's very rare. Where it's God will humble you. God will humble them. So there's no good praying for somebody that God would humble them because the, new te- the biblical emphasis upon humble yourself. Humility has to do with a choice. Pride has to do with a choice. I want to do what I want to do. Humility is I want to be concerned for others and be others focused. What's the best for them, not for me? So clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Well, because God opposes the proud. If you want to run into brick walls and God's opposition, be proud. He'll resist you. 
But if you want God's favor, humble yourself. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. And what will he do? Well, what did he do with Jesus? He'll lift you up. He will exalt you. He'll elevate you. When? In proper time. When he's ready. At the right time. We want it now. But it'll come when the time is right. This is Philippians 2, the paragraph beforehand. Paul says to the Philippians, so be like-minded, loving, be, uh, being one in spirit and of mind, unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Have that mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Remember what he did? Well, then let the Christmas season remind us of that and motivate us to be servant-hearted followers of him. The Lord Jesus himself says, Luke 18, 14, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. When? At the right time. Might be at the end of the age, but they'll be humbled. Even Satan will bow before Jesus. Reluctantly, defiantly, but he will bow. And he will say, you are Lord. He knows it. He's just fighting against it. So will all sinners. But those who humble themselves, Jesus says, you will be exalted. Where do you want to invest? Here or there? That's this morning's talk. What does he, what did Jesus do? And what does he want us to do? Are you Kevin hmm. or Brian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a fantastic passage taking us behind the scenes of glory, of giving us an insight into who Jesus is and what he did, how he humbled himself because he loved us, wanted us to be forgiven. We don't understand it, but Lord, we certainly appreciate it and enjoy it. May, Lord Jesus, that which you have done for us may it be duplicated in us. That we would choose to obey, to humble ourselves, to seek the good of others, and especially to seek your glory, your honour, your pleasure. Lord, enable this and use this and bless us this Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said...